This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Welcome to Earthwise, environment and peace with justice interviews on Plains FM 96.9. Welcome to Earthwise, I'm Lois Griffiths. Today's program is a repeat of an interview we did late December, before President Biden's inauguration actually, with American Chuck Collins director of the Program on Inequality and Common Good at the Institute for Policy Studies. The issues he discusses about how the global pandemic has been leading to growth in extreme inequality is even more urgent today, as we'll explain at the end. For today's program, Martin and I will be talking with American author, activist Chuck Collins, Chuck is the director of the Program on Inequality and the Common Good at the Institute for Policy Studies. He is not only actively involved in investigating and writing about inequality, he is very committed actively to promoting an understanding of the current situation with the public and actively promoting the changes so desperately needed. The situation in America today of extreme inequality is so important for us here in New Zealand to try to comprehend the American influence being so strong. Lois and I knew that we should try to contact Chuck after reading an article of his, U.S. billionaires surpass $1 trillion in wealth gains during the pandemic as essential workers and others suffer. Welcome to Earthwise, Chuck Collins. Thank you for having me, Lois and Martin. Well, Chuck, a billion. A billion is a thousand million. That's a huge number. Have there always been billionaires in America, or is this something new? You know, it is It is a fairly recent event. You know, <clears throat> in 1983, there were about 18 billionaires. Uh, today, there's 651. Oh. Um but uh, and and we've just uh, we have now four centibillionaires, meaning four people who have more than a hundred billion. Um, so, th- in, but in it's a really recent development. It's part of the overall uh, growth of inequality in the last forty years in the United States. A steady pulling apart of income and wealth. It, it, it's it's hard to. Russia here in New Zealand to comprehend, where does this wealth come from? Well, in some ways, it's, it's, uh, it's part of um, the fact that wages have been pretty flat. So, uh, you know, the, 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 the story of income and wealth inequality in the U.S. is in the years after World War II, 1945 to, say, the mid-1970s, uh, the rising tide did lift all boats. The middle and the bottom and the top all grew, uh, saw their incomes go up at a roughly the same rate. But starting in the late 70s, uh, there was a real uh, attack on trade unions. Uh, there was mm. a kind of increase in global competition. Uh, there were technologies that allowed companies to pit workers in local, local states against global workers willing to work for less 
all that drove wages down. So part of what's happened is the productivity has gone up, but almost all the gains have gone to owners, have gone to the people who own capital at the expense of people who work for wages. Uh, so if you do that for 40 years, you end up with what we have today. So if- And it's not just that the wealth has gone to the top 1%. Most of the income and wealth gains have gone to the top one-tenth of 1%, and those are people with $3 million in income or $30 million in wealth. So it's a really tiny sliver that's realized most of the wealth. Well, there's certainly a total breakdown in the sort of political system, isn't there? They think, starting with the breakdown of the trade unions and things like um, student debt and that sort of thing. But, and yet they're making profits at this time when I assume people are really suffering badly, aren't they? Well, now here we are in the pandemic, and, and in some ways, uh, and, and we look to you as an example of how, how to do things better, <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the, the inequalities that we went into the pandemic, we, we kind of describe them as they're our pre-existing condition, which was a weakened body politic, uh, uh, lack of health care for, you know, millions of households poor protections for low-wage workers, uh, and a kind of system that benefited the, the, the wealthy. And so, in a way, the pandemic has, has kind of turbocharged, has, has accelerated the existing inequalities. So we now have this weird situation where, you know, millions of people have lost, you know, 300,000 people in the U.S. have lost their lives because of COVID, 300,000. Uh, you know, we have the highest infection rate in the world. Um, we're going into the winter, and, and we're heading into the winter now with, um, you know, new new rates, high rates of infection. Many, many businesses have closed, um, probably permanently. And yet, the 650 billionaires in the U.S. have seen their wealth increase by $1 trillion since March. So there's a kind of perverse reward uh, for the companies and the owners that uh, are benefiting in a weird way from the pandemic. Let's talk about a few of these names. Jeff Bezos, for instance, he's um, extremely wealthy anyway, and his wealth increased by 62%. What does he actually do? Well, he is the the founder CEO of of Amazon, which is the big online retail giant. And, uh, you know, during the pandemic, a lot of their competition was closed down. And so they've benefited. And, 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 you know, to some extent, many people feel like, well, it's great that there's the ability to do online ordering and retail and being able to buy stuff. Um, but, uh, they, they've benefited from essentially having a monopoly now. Um, interestingly, Jeff Bezos got divorced about two years ago, and he gave one-fourth of his wealth to his ex-wife, Mackenzie Scott. And uh, today in the United States, uh, she announced her, her plan is to give away all of her wealth, which is about $59 billion right now. And she just gave away $4 billion today to COVID, COVID response organizations. Uh, food pantries and emergency ah. funds, and uh, you know, so she, here, here's here's the f- ex-wife of the wealthiest man on the planet, 
uh, is doing more, stepping up in a more meaningful way than many of the billionaires. Oh, that's interesting. Is she stepping up more than the government itself is doing? Well, it, no, I mean, it, well, right at this moment, we're, we're kind of in a state of stalemate or, or paralysis. Uh, you know, the, the U.S. Senate, uh, led by Mitch McConnell, is blocking uh, the COVID relief that, that everyone needs right now. Uh, we have all these workers who are, again, unemployment is going up. Uh, workers are vulnerable. Um, states and local governments are running out of money. Uh, the, the sort of service organizations are. And so, you know, you know, early in the pandemic, back in April, uh, you know, Congress did step up and provide a, a couple trillion dollars in relief for unemployed workers, uh, for businesses. But uh, nothing has happened in months, and here we're heading into this new phase of the pandemic. Um, so, uh, in a way, government is paralyzed, and it's helpful to have private individuals giving to charity. But it's it's not a substitute. It's unhealthy, for the isn't it? Functioning at this point. No, What's the public not. mood like? There must be anger or depression. I I think it's a, it's the whole range. Um, you know, I think there's there's a you know, part of it is that people are sequestered and they're uh, isolated and they're not, you know, uh, in community gatherings. Um, and there's a certain impatience with that. Uh, there's a bit of optimism that, you know, we, we just, the, 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 you know, just yesterday, uh, the vaccine is being given now to uh, healthcare workers. And as they should, these are the people who are really on the front lines. Uh, so there's a little bit of optimism from that, but I think people just understand the next three months are going to be very difficult, and um, people are very frightened. I think uh, there is a, there is some optimism that uh, we we have a new president, uh, and that um, even even though the sitting president isn't acknowledging it, almost you know yesterday was again an important milestone where. Uh, you know, the state electoral college system installed uh, President-elect Biden. But we, we have still, like, um, almost 40 days until there's a transfer of presidential power. And those 40 days are going to be difficult days yes. uh, if nothing happens. I've, um, I sort of feel we're in a, a world, a, a sort of a new... Uh, Almost new language and new technologies taken over that that I, I don't comprehend personally. I was just looking at the uh, I just googled Amazon.com and it talks about cloud computing and artificial intelligence. This is all strange to me. Yeah, I mean these are in some ways some of some of the great fortunes are coming from these new technologies. Uh, the fact that uh, a lot of data now doesn't live on a computer but lives, uh, you know, in a remote computer. Um, th those are the companies that are seeing some of the biggest gains. Uh, people are, are are seeing their doctors on computers, telemedicine, and that's changing. More and more people are commuting, you know, and working um, by computer. That's changing the workplace. So we're going through a, a, a dramatic transformation. But it's also produced a tremendous amount of money in a few hands, isn't it? 
That's right. So there's a high concentration of those technologies, and it's unfortunately making some people incredibly rich. And it's also displacing other parts of the economy. I mean, a lot of what we would call main street businesses or high street shops are shuttered and are going out of business. And these big monopoly businesses are kind of taking up more and more of the market share. And so we're seeing, you know, we we may come out of this pandemic with, you know, a lot of empty stores and empty storefronts and a few giant mega businesses. And I don't think anybody likes that idea. And the unemployment rate seems to be rocketing, doesn't it? Yeah, we're now going into, uh, you know, another stage because uh, many states have failed to uh, to prevent the spread of the virus. Um, you know, as you've probably watched with horror uh, in the United States, the whole thing has been politicized by having an incompetent president who doesn't believe in science and has undermined public health. So, and and his followers somehow think it's some kind of form of freedom, uh, you know, kind of extreme individualistic freedom to not wear masks and to not engage in social distancing, follow community protocols. And so we're in a really unfortunate situation where we have, you know, the, the whole thing has become politicized unnecessarily. We've oh. really lacked for leadership. Chuck, I want to mention two more names. Elon, is that how you pronounce it? Elon Musk. Uh, his profits, his wealth in a short period increased by 480%. What is this SpaceX? Is it anything to do with the military? Well, it's, it's kind of like a private space program. Um, I mean, Elon Musk is a uh, technological innovator. He created the the Tesla car, the the battery, kind of most advanced advanced battery systems. So he has, you know, people people actually admire him. But uh, his wealth during the pandemic has increased over a hundred billion dollars. And again, this is, uh, you know, Wall Street and the financial speculators are essentially betting that his future technologies will will make a lot of money. And um, <clears throat> But yeah, and and he has his own private uh, space space company uh, that just recently launched a rocket, and they're putting up satellites. Uh, so uh, unlike having a government-backed space program, which is historic, my entire life we've had, there are now private, wealthy people who are exploring space, and Musk and Bezos both are space aficionados. Yes, I read a weird article about him from Global. Um, what's the name of the group? Global Research. Not Global Research, but another one yeah. about um, his plans to transform Mars into livable conditions with nuclear bombs. It's a hideous story. It sounds like a madman. But all this wealth, I, I just assumed it was coming from the military because I assume that's where the money is in America. I might be wrong about that. But the other well, day... You are right that there's a, there's a lot of money in the military, but... What's odd is you have these 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 guys. They're so wealthy. They're they're sort of delinked from reality. You know, their their eyes are in the stars, if you will, and they're they're getting excited about colonizing other planets. You know, because they, <laughs> United, the the the, United, the world is not big enough to colonize. I guess. Well, the other name I want to mention is Mark Zuckerberg. I'm really disturbed about Facebook. 
because I know that he does some censorship. He censors Palestinian writers. But it, I mean, he has power, doesn't he? Your point about power is really important because, uh, you know, not only do these people have wealth, they have huge amounts of power. In the case of Facebook, the power to shape, you know, conversations and, and social movements and, and how people understand reality. Um, and Facebook, you know, unfortunately, Facebook was hijacked in 2016. You know, the Russians undermined U.S. elections and all kinds of things using Facebook. And so now they have tried to address that, but, but they've become, as you described, unnecessarily censoring uh, the flow of information. So it's a it's partly that they're just so big and they have so much power. Um, we would all do well just to unplug from them. And yet so many the newspapers are shutting down in America, aren't they? That, that's, it's this whole issue of um, yeah, we've, public information that frightens me, or lack yeah, of we've public lost information. A lot of, um, we've lost kind of our robust journalism sector. Um, it's very, very difficult for particularly local community newspapers uh, and, and, and just investing in news coverage generally. Um, so we, 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 we are impoverished when it comes to getting information, unfortunately. You're listening to Earthwise, broadcasting in Christchurch on Plains FM 96.9, in Hamilton on Free FM, and in Waikanae on Coast Access FM. Today's guest is American Chuck Collins, an expert on U.S. inequality, a shocking situation. Well, Chuck, is the situation hopeless? Is it irreversible? No, I don't think so. You know, one one uh, thing that I think is quite positive is uh, if you if you look at public opinion polls, pe- people understand that these inequalities are really undermining the quality of life. Even among very wealthy people, there's an understanding that too much inequality is is bad for society, bad for democracy, bad for the economy. Um, the solutions, the things that would actually reverse these inequalities, um, are generally quite popular. Things like raising the minimum wage, raising the floor, uh, debt-free higher education and, and vocational training, uh, taxes on the very wealthy to encourage them, you know, require them to pay their fair share, um, universal health care, expanded health care. These mm. are all things that have 70, 80 percent popularity um, that cuts across party and age group. So that's good in the sense that there's an undercurrent there. The pressure is building for some readjustment, for some transformation of the U.S. economy. And I think that there's a possibility in the next decade we will we will start to turn the corner and reverse these inequalities and you know, go back to kind of a more shared prosperity economic model. That health care is an important one because we're so lucky here in New Zealand. We we have good health care. It's um, public health care. It's public health care yeah. for, for everyone. But you, you mentioned power earlier. I mean, you say this might change within a decade. It's, it's such a, a struggle against the powerful to get any change. You can talk as much as you like, but you, nothing actually happens. Yeah, I mean, that is the the contradiction is you could have 80% of the public support a policy, but be, but our political system is really captured by the powerful, powerful wealth. So we have become uh, an oligarchy or a 
plutocratic society, society governed by a small handful of wealthy people. Um, and that things could probably continue to go badly. We could become more unequal, more polarized. Um, but uh, I, I do see a, another path, which is where we actually do come together um, and, and sort of begin to narrow it. For instance, you, uh, Lois mentioned student debt. Uh, we have this weird situation. It didn't exist when I was young. But now you have, you know, uh, one, 44 million people in the United States who have a student debt, averaging $40,000 of student debt. And uh, this is a, an anvil around the necks of young people. It's very hard for them to move forward in their lives. I know because I have three children who are in their 20s, and they all have student debt. They're all trying to get their lives out of first gear, if you will. And they're saddled by this debt. There's no good purpose of it. Uh, that's the kind of thing that uh, incoming President Joe Biden has said. You know, he can use the power of government. He doesn't need the Republican Party to, to agree with him. He can, you know, reduce student debt through executive action. That's the kind of thing that could be transformative and, and also cement uh, young people's support for a change agenda. So those are the kind of things that I'm, I'm hopeful about. But what about inherited tax? There must be a lot of people getting very wealthy just because they were clever enough to have wealthy parents. Yeah, yeah um, you, 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 this is a topic near, near to my heart. In fact, um, I used to work with Bill Gates's father, a William Gates Sr., and he and I wrote a book together about why we should keep and, and strengthen the inheritance tax. We, it's called an estate tax in the United States, and it's gotten weaker and weaker. And it starts now if, uh, if you need to have wealth over $11 million, $22 million for a couple before the tax even kicks in. Oh. <laughs> and uh, so it's a, it's, a, it's a very weak tax. It's only paid by a small sliver of people. And many of them can hire tax lawyers and wealth managers to uh, figure out how to avoid it. Yeah. So it's a porous and weak tax. So one, uh, you know, Lois, you're right. We, uh, there's a lot of inherited wealth building up. Um, trillions of dollars is going to pass from one generation to the next. And if we want to pre prevent this, this dynastic, you know, con uh, uh, concentration of wealth, we need to have a healthy inheritance tax in place. Uh, it's also a way to raise revenue. It, it has a dual purpose. It raises a lot of money, but it also slows that multi-generational concentration of wealth and power, which is so necessary in a democracy. Yes, it's um, maybe running out of time. It's a fantastic topic. There are other, well, important topic, other questions I wanted to bring up, like hiding millions and how this affects the rest of the world. Perhaps I'll just finish by, are there any sectors who are really taking a strong stand? I mean, I'm thinking of the Black Lives Matter out in the streets. I mean, this is part of the story of the black people and African-Americans. Or the unions. Or, there must be people who are, are trying to fight back. But I wonder if they know how or what res what resources. Absolutely. Yeah, no, there, there are social movements, and there are movements of young people. There are movements uh, like the Black Lives Matter movement rec addressing sort of the historic legacy of racism and inequality. Um, 
you know, I think students are a really important sector. Um, and, and I think we're, you know, the, there's, it's pretty broad. There's, the, the, you know, and we have uh, Bernie Sanders who ran for president who had enormous popular support and really was a champion of this agenda. So that shows that there's a constituency that's out there organizing and pushing for change. What about um, the religious groups? I, they... In the United States, the, the what we call the mainline Protestants and Catholics have, have been shrinking in terms of their power and, the, and that the evangelicals are actually more conservative uh, yeah. <laughs> and not, <laughs> not really me. agents of change. Well, yeah. I, th- I think um, we're probably just about out of time, but I do appreciate um, you talking to us. I think this is the story the pandemic story that we've not been told, and there's so much behind it because um, it is a question of power. And uh, personally, I've been writing blogs about how big money can buy what people know and what they think, and you can buy politicians. The the American political system depends so much on money, doesn't it? In some ways, if you're sitting in in New Zealand, you might want to do everything you can to be, prevent your society from becoming like the United States. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, I, and I, I hope you'll invite me back. Actually, I have a book coming out in the new year. It's called The Wealth Hoarders, How Billionaires Spend Millions to Hide Trillions. That's a lovely title. It's and, a fascinating uh, title. <laughs> yeah, and I'll send you a copy. We'll, I'll send it now, and maybe it'll get there in a month. Oh. Uh, but uh, the other thing is uh, we have a website called inequality.org inequality.org and your listeners can can see the, the work and there's quite a bit of international reporting there uh, we have a weekly newsletter that comes from me that tries to describe you know kind of the good news what what people are doing to address inequality not just in the US but all over the world um, so I invite your listeners to check out inequality.org and I look forward to, to continuing to to speak with you over in the coming year. Oh, well, thanks. I mean, that We'd word like to inequality. thank you for speaking yeah. to us today. It's been but a, I've, eye-opener. I've read comments that um, the greater the level of inequality in a society, the less um, stable it is. So that's something we must keep in mind that, in New Zealand, just not let the inequality get too That's absolutely right. Too high. Yeah, inequality has kind of weakens, weakens the, the body politic. And if we had had less inequality, if we had been more like New Zealand, if we had an adequate public health system and that would not have... having these extreme gaps, we, we, would have, we would be in much better shape than we are right now. Well, the interview we just heard was done before the COVID-19 pandemic took off in a big way. And an urgent issue today is the extreme global inequality of access to COVID-19 vaccines. Rich countries are oversupplied. Poor countries are suffering. It's because of patents, intellectual property rights on vaccines. But this could backfire even on wealthy countries. Many are convinced that if not everyone globally is vaccinated, as soon as possible, new variants will appear. So there's a call for patent rights on COVID-19 vaccines to be waived, a call for a people's vaccine. Very important. With that in mind, we in Earthwise say goodbye until next time. (laughs) 